Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We had a beautiful drive over here today. I'm sure you did as well. Um, it's been a pretty good winter so far. Um, I think it'd be nice just to slide right into spring, but we really do need some cold weather. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm afraid the bugs will, will have an early start on us. Um, Steve's got uh, COVID, and uh, so I'm filling in, and uh, glad for the opportunity. Um, I don't know, a lot of you, some of you might not know my name. I'm Doug Campbell. I used to, I was a pastor here for a while, and I've been a member here since like 40, 40 years or so, and um, so this is my church home, our church home, and um, I'm glad for the opportunity to share the Word of God with you today. So why don't we pray and just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. Um, it's a brand new day, Lord, uh, a brand new opportunity for us to know you and worship you and uh, this particular day, Lord, when we come together as a church body to worship and to look into your word. And Lord, um, this could be just like any other Sunday, but I I'd, would pray that this might be a special Sunday for some people, uh, that you would really speak to our hearts today, Lord. Um, and Lord, I know we hear that every Sunday, and, and these are the things that we say and, and expect. But Lord, I, I truly believe that you want to... Um, interact with us, spirit to spirit. You, you want to engage us. Um, and so, Lord, we need to be ready for that. We need to be open and focused on you. So help us to lay aside uh, what happened before we got here and what's going to happen after, and just to give you our undivided attention and affection. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that some of the most profound times that God speaks into our lives is in a sermon. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a preacher, but um, when you worship God, when people come together and worship God and God is um, presented and, and we are become, you know, in a, in a building, we become open to the things of God. Um, and we open our ears to him. We open our hearts to him. Um, then I think God can speak. And so part of the reason for worship is to prepare our hearts to hear from God, not just to honor God, but, but to hear from him. And um, Jesus told something to his disciples that I think is always worth remembering as, as the church. Uh, Matthew 13, uh, 16 and 17. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so you have an opportunity and I have an opportunity to uh, be under the sound of the word of God in the presence of the spirit of God and hear something from God. And so uh, don't just take it as another Sunday, um, take it as something special. 
So we've been uh, going through this series, Beyond, Believe, Become. I wasn't sure which came first. I guess they kind of all wrapped together, really, because you can't really belong unless you believe, and, and then, you know, you can't really become unless you believe, so maybe believing ties it together. But belonging is a powerful human need. It's a drive. We are driven to belong. All our lives, we're looking to belong. You know, we look at our babies, and we look for family resemblances. And uh, babies look at us for family resemblances. Our granddaughter loves to come to our house and, and take pictures. And so we're pointing out who's who and who's passed on, and she's learning names. And, and then babies also notice other babies. You notice that, how quickly a baby will notice another baby? And it's like they're looking for somebody to belong to. It's sort of like, you know, children find other children. Teenagers find other children. Young parents find other parents. And, and then us old people, we just, we're what's left, right? Uh, <laughs> we find each other, I guess. We, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm walking around my, the town I grew up in, I, I look for people that I knew. And I don't find very many of them. I don't know where they went. They're, they're, I don't, and maybe a lot of them just don't look the same. You know, it's been a long time. But that's what we do as people. We, we look for people that uh, we belong to or used to belong to. Um, we are naturally looking for a group to fit in with. And so God, you know, God created that in us. That's something that God has created us for was community and to belong. Uh, that's why you're here today. That's why you're here today. You want to belong. We go to great lengths to belong. We have favorite teams, and teams become communities, and, and, and we encourage one another, even when our team is lousy and has a bad track record. You know who I mean. Um, <laughs> there's a fraternity there. You know, it's sort of like you glory in losing. Um, we join clubs. Uh, we take sides in politics to, you know, validate our ideas. We, we move to communities and settle down, and we hope to belong. But, of course, if you come from away, you might have to live there 40 years before you have a, the idea that you belong. Um, countries erect borders to keep unwanted people out. Uh, people develop cliques, and, and there's unseen rules that keep people out. And, you know, a few things hurt worse than being unwanted. And I dare say there aren't too many uh, young people who haven't wrestled through life trying to find a place to be wanted. We long to belong. Belonging is elusive. It's fleeting. And one of the reasons is because things keep changing. People keep changing. People move in and out of our lives. I, I, you know, I, every time I come here, I think about the people that I don't see anymore. And, you know, people come and they go and they move away or they drift away. And I don't know how many thousands of people, some of you uh, know what I mean, who have come and, and gone from, from our church. It's just the way... Life is. Things are always, always changing. So I got a question for you this morning. Do you feel like you belong? Here. Some of you are new. I, some of you I haven't even met yet. Um, and so you're coming looking to belong. We hope you feel that you belong. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of somebody acknowledging that you're here and wanting to shake your hand. That's what Jesus is doing. He's not starting a new religion or he's not starting a new club. He's inviting people into a new kingdom, a whole new kingdom, 
A kingdom that, uh, yeah, it's getting its start in this world, but it's completely separate from this world. It's just radically different than anything else that's going on on earth. So, you know, you and I, we've been born into this life, and our need to belong is never met by that. Um, you know, you're born into a family, you have a certain ethnicity, um, you have a certain lifestyle that you adopt, and all of it is infested, infested with sin and corruption, all of it. And it's because we are all infested with sin and corruption. It's just part of what it is to be human and to be in this world. There's just too much brokenness for you and I to possibly feel completely uh, at home and belonging in this world. The world's too broken. Just when you get something fixed, something else breaks, and particularly in relationships. And, you know, families are perhaps the tightest bond, but not all families have that kind of tightness that, that people long for. Sometimes families are fractured. So really the teaching of the Bible and Jesus' message is he's building a new kingdom and you need a new spiritual birth if you want to belong to the kingdom of God. So we get to John chapter 4 and, and um, Jesus is on a journey. He uh, says here in verse 1, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He was getting more and more popular, and he wasn't willing to rush that. He wanted to avoid that because he had things to do. And so he kind of got out of Judea, and he was heading for um, Galilee, for his home area. So there's a map, I think, that uh, Dave, is that you, Dave, uh, can bring up. Um, I find it good to understand... Um, Maps. Um, I don't know. Young people don't use maps anymore. They right? use apps. But there's no substitute for a map, right? Because a map can be big. So um, I don't have a pointer. But right in the middle, you'll see a word there that says Samaria. And so there's three provinces. The bottom in the pinkish is uh, Judah. And then the middle is Samaria. And then in the north, you have Galilee. And this is all Israel in, in the time of Christ. And so... Uh, Jesus has left Jerusalem and he's heading to the Sea of Galilee and he has to go through Samaria. And in particular, uh, the Old Testament town of uh, Shechem, which uh, here it's called Sychar, and it's just sort of an area, uh, you know, whether there's two towns or Shechem became Sychar, uh, uh, people aren't really sure. Um, Dave, you got another picture there of the of these two mountains. There's a uh, on the left is Mount Gizarim, Gizarim, and the right is Mount Ebal. And in the middle was Shechem and Sychar and this little, this little town. I think it's the modern town of Neapolis or uh, something like that. And so they, there's a lot of history to this place. When Abraham came from uh, um, Chaldea and he uh, was led by God to go through to Israel and Canaan land, um, he came here and he built an altar at Shechem. And then... Uh, when his grandson Jacob was uh, coming and going, he, he dug a well there. And so you're going back a couple of thousand years before Jesus' time uh, that they uh, had uh, something to do with this, with this area. So and then in Joshua's time, uh, you know, Joshua led them from the, uh, the east side of the, the um, 
the Jordan River where Moses died and Joshua became leader and he led them to the promised land and they defeated some of the, uh, the, the rival nations and he led them here. And he put six tribes on Mount Gezerim and six tribes on Mount Ebal. And what they did is they repeated the law and the tribes on Gezerim uh, pronounced the blessings in the law. If they keep the law, God would bless them. And the other six tribes got on top of Ebal and they proclaimed the curses of the law. What would happen if they disobeyed God? And it was the kind of a ratification of the covenant. So this is a really important place. And then... Um, after King Solomon, which is, of course, generations after Joshua, uh, Solomon kind of, you know, fell away from the Lord, and the kingdom became divided. And one of the things that happened was that's when Samaria kind of became a separate area. It was no longer Israel of 12 tribes. It was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, it was because of Jeroboam. One man led that whole nation of northern, you know, Israel, what we would call Samaria, into idolatry. He said, uh, you don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Here's your gods. And he made two calves. And they said, okay, we'll worship the calves. It's kind of it's bizarre, but not much different than what we do. So here you have this situation where uh, the Jews lived in Judah. And uh, of course, Jews lived sprinkled all over. Jesus lived in Nazareth, which is in the north. But uh, the Samaritans were kind of in the middle, and the Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they thought that they were idolaters. And they were, they kind of had a mixture of Jewish religion and biblical teaching and idol, idol worship. And it corrupted their sense of uh, what was going on. But they had some familiarity with the Old Testament for sure. You know, a whole group, a whole nation can be led astray by one person. It's kind of amazing. You know, you think, why do these countries, why do we have it so good and all these countries have it so bad? Well, you can go back and look at their leadership. And good leaders will appeal to the, the good things that people want. And bad leaders will appeal to the uh, sinful instincts that people have. And people are easily led. Like, we're just like sheep, Jesus said. And, and that's pretty much, uh, you know, we uh, enjoy the benefits of stability in our country because of the people who went before. And if we don't hang on to those good things, we'll lose them. Amen. So, one of the interesting things, though, is God often shows up. So, I, I found this painting of the woman at the well. I really like it. It's just kind of a kind of a picture of this is perhaps what it looked like. And so you have uh, Jesus who's on a journey and he's, he's tired and he knows where Jacob's well is and he's going to sit down and have a drink. And this lady shows up. She's come at the same time to get a drink. And right here is a meeting that's going to change history. God decides that he's going to have an interaction with a woman from Samaria. So it says, uh, verse 5, verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So the history is important. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said, give me a drink. 
He probably said, please. You know, it, it's sometimes the way these the translations come across is this, you know, woman, what do I have to do with you? Well, I don't think he quite said it like that. And I don't think he quite said, give me a drink. He said, he must have said at least, please. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, just, he's, it's just an ordinary conversation. Could you get me a drink, please? And verse uh, 8, for his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Now, you know in that culture, and even today, uh, it's kind of frowned upon that men have dealings with women that they don't know, that they're not married to or not related to. It's kind of a, there's an awkwardness there. Uh, maybe a, a separation that's been taken too far. It's just quite different than what we're used to. But Jesus was a man talking to a Samaritan woman, and that kind of put her off a bit, surprised her. And she, he was obviously a Jew. He must have looked like one or sounded like one. And so she knew he was Jewish. And, and she says, what are you doing talking to me? The first thing I want to stress is that belonging to God requires a personal meeting with Jesus Christ. Now, he showed up at the well, and she showed up at the well, and they had a personal meeting. And that's got to happen with you and Jesus as well. And you might think, well, how's that possibly going to happen? Jesus is not on earth. Uh, he lived here 2,000 years ago. The Bible said he went back to heaven. How am I going to meet? Well, this is, there's two things that God does. One is he sends messengers. He sends people. And, and so a Christian is an emissary of Jesus Christ. We're Christians. So we're representatives of Jesus Christ. And it is our part of our lifestyle that we bring Jesus to people. Um, and so... People congregate in churches, uh, we hold meetings, we invite people, um, maybe somebody invited you, and, and so you come to church and wondering what to expect, and, but the people that invited you to church or are putting on this service expect that you're going to meet Jesus. And, and, and like I had uh, kind of said earlier, it's sort of like it's spirit to spirit. In other words, you have to believe that God is real, and maybe that's a stretch for you. Um, it was a stretch for me once, but um, I just kind of pressed into it. I, I just kept digging into it. I just kept moving toward God. Why? Because I was, I was attracted by something. And so you're here. I think you're attracted by something. Maybe you're listening online, and there's something about God that attracts you because there's something about the world that just disappoints you. You just don't feel like you belong. You feel like you were made for something better. Well, that's indeed true. We were made for something better. So God sends emissaries, representatives, and Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, speaks to our hearts. So God, the, the Lord said to uh, the, the, the 12 disciples in John chapter 16 um, that the Spirit of God would go out and convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That the Spirit of God would go and speak to people's hearts. So when you hear something about God and you, it's pretty hard to be neutral. If you're neutral about God, you're just not paying attention. Uh, 
Because when people start talking about God and about sin and, and salvation and, and, and judgment and heaven and all these things, it provoke, provokes a reaction in us. And that reaction is you and the Spirit of God kind of debating. And so in your heart, you can have a debate with God. And I, I, I just implore you to listen, listen to him. So, you know, Jesus is after a drink and... Uh, He's after her soul, too. And so we won't be shy about what we're after. <laughs> we're after your soul. Not to steal it. <laughs> we're after your soul uh, so that you can meet Jesus and Jesus can save your soul and heal your life and give you a better future. Give you a real hope. Give you something that you can really belong to. Something that's better than anything else in this world. Jesus is interested in your soul, and, and so are we. Let's just uh, go on a little farther here. Jesus answered her. He, he's really good at changing the direction of the conversation. If you knew the gift of God... You should try that this week, maybe. Just say, you know, just say something like that. If you knew the gift of God, well, um, you know, when you're having a conversation with your coworker, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So she's come for a drink. He stopped for a drink, and he immediately starts talking about living water. Now, living water might be flowing water, like a spring, because, you know, if water's moving, it creates or supports life. If water becomes stagnant, it becomes kind of dead, and not much lives in it. Um, so that's one way of looking at living water. But Jesus is talking about something completely different. So she says, uh, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So, you know, here's this well that's been producing for a couple of thousand years. That's just part of their history. It's Jacob's well. Jacob, you know, they, God changed his name to Israel, so he's like the founder of the nation, in a way. And, you know, this well has been here for all this time. You got better water than that? You don't even have a bucket. You know, what do you got? Um, and then he says this. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, right? Like, I try to drink a lot of water, and the more water I drink the thirstier I get. Do you notice that? And if I don't drink enough water, um, then I got to drink it all in the evening and I'm up all night. Uh, <laughs> Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what he's saying, you know, he not, she doesn't know what living water is. There's a verse in Jeremiah uh, that talks about living water. Um, 
Jeremiah 17, 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water, the fountain of life, the source of life. You know, it's so ironic, it's so crazy that we have a creator who is the source of life and we just can't wait to get away from him, to get you know, when you're growing up and, and maybe your parents brought you up to, to, you know, think about God and spiritual things. Uh, like for me, it was, I couldn't wait to get away from that. I wanted to get away from that as far as I could so I could do what I wanted. Because I knew better. I knew what would bring me life. And I didn't think it was God. And Jesus has given us a, a picture of what spiritual life is. He, you know, he's not saying, you know, come to the temple next week. Let's go to the synagogue, lady. There's a synagogue in town. Let's go to the synagogue. No, he was talking about a relationship with the living God, the unseen spirit of God. And he was saying, if uh, this is what spiritual life is, if you drink what I'm offering, you'll never be thirsty again. Boy, I'll tell you, that's quite a picture. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. Um, a little farther over, John 7 um, 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those had believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit wasn't given to believers till after the resurrection. And you read in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came. And we believe that whenever a person responds uh, in faith, in sincere faith and repentance uh, to God and invites, asks Jesus to save them, that they become regenerated, reborn, a new spiritual birth. That is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in you forever. Now, I don't know about you, but the, like the first time I heard that, man, I was, I was, it just grabbed me. Never thirst again. I was 27 years old and I was an alcoholic. And I'm telling you, I drank a lot. And I, the more I drank, the thirstier I got. And I was so tired of that kind of life. Um, And somebody offered me the gospel. My soul was so thirsty. And alcohol was so, it was just so unable to satisfy my thirst. And somebody said, in more or less words, you need Jesus. And I started coming to church and I started listening. Now I knew, <laughs> I knew that something could happen. And so I was on my guard, right? You're not gonna... Pull the wool over my eyes. Uh, I'm smarter than that. But listen, I'm telling you, I, I can still remember, you know, Pastor Ed and some other people preaching that summer, and I was just, and they just kept looking at me. <laughs> and, we, you know, we weren't a very big congregation. Maybe it was like 30 people or so. And, and I felt like I was the only one who didn't know, you know. I was the only one that didn't belong. Uh, I was the only one that was... He was preaching to. And I've had other people say the same thing over the years. You know, it's like it was just me and you. And it's not me. Because it's God speaking to your heart. 
Right? It's, I'm just a messenger. I'm just up here talking. See, but I'm talking about truth. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about things that the Holy Spirit wants to convince you about. Because this is the word of God. This is life or death. This is the most important stuff there is in this world. So I understood the gospel. I could understand that Jesus died for me and I understood that he rose from the dead. I began to believe it. And one night I just said, Jesus, save me. I, I need to be saved. And I was just never the same since. I, I came to church the next day. It was a Saturday night in Truro and I came to church on Sunday and I, I went forward because I wanted to, I knew I needed to get up and demonstrate to myself, first of all, that I meant business, that I really wanted a new life. And that weekend, I was born again. I've never been the same since. That was 40, over 41 years ago. Um, and you know, he has never failed to satisfy my soul. Uh, you know, not that life has really been uh, roses and, and, and uh, what's that song? I don't know. Sunshine, roses, rainbows, and buttercup, whatever it is. Uh, it's not always been like that. I, I've had a great life, but we've had some tremendous trials, and yet Jesus has never failed to satisfy my soul. And he wants to do the same for you. <laughs> now the woman, like she's pretty, she's an interesting lady. This is an interesting lady. She's holding her own with Jesus, you know. She's kind of going toe to toe. Uh, verse 16, 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty. I have to come here to draw water. You know, she's, she's not quite getting it, you know, but she's kind of liking the sound of it. Living water, what could that be? Now, this lady had a complicated life. So Jesus knew all about it. She said, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. <laughs> Maybe not much else is true, but that's true. Complicated life. How was she trying to find belonging? Well, I guess it was through relationships. And it wasn't working so well. We don't know what happened to these husbands, but maybe the gossip was, look at her. She burned through five husbands and she's after number six. I'm sure she had a reputation. You know what I'm thinking? She was probably pretty attractive. And yet Jesus wasn't interested in that. He was interested in her soul. And I think she kind of knew that. He didn't look at her the way maybe other men looked at her. So she's starting to grasp something because he says this. And then she says, verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What's a prophet? Well, what she means here is that you know something about me that you shouldn't know. How do you know that about me? How do you know I have five husbands? How do you know anything about me? And see, that's the whole thing about the Spirit of God. There's nothing that the Spirit of God doesn't know about you. 
So sometimes when you're listening to the message of Jesus and you're listening to the, the word of God and God starts doing stuff, the spirit of God starts, you know, exposing you. Do you notice that? He starts opening up your secrets. Now, not that everybody else can see your secrets. Um, I can remember, you know, a guy saying, who told the preacher about my life? <laughs> and we said, well, no, nobody did. It's the Holy Spirit. He speaks the same way to all of us. And so sometimes you can come, come under the sound of the word and, and the spirit of God starts exposing your secrets. He starts uh, peeling back your layers of self-righteousness, starts bringing out some guilt. Oh man, we don't want anything to do with guilt. Well, let me tell you, guilt is important. You got to deal with guilt. Guilt is there because there's sin underneath. And guilt is something that, uh, well, we all have it. And we need to deal with guilt. And thankfully, you don't have to deal with guilt. You're on your own because Jesus died for your sins and he's willing to make an exchange. You give me your guilt and I'll give you my righteousness. I'll make this great exchange. You won't get a better deal than that. So the spirit of God is trying to convince you of what is true and he's offering mercy and grace. And that's what you need. All those secrets, I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what your secrets are, but I know what mine are. And I'm really glad you can't read my mind. And I'm really glad that some things are kept hidden uh, because I got a lot of things in my life that I'm not too proud of. I don't want people to know. Uh, probably the person that knows me best is my wife, Glenda. But there's things about me that I don't want Glenda to know. I don't want anybody to know. But I know one thing, God knows <laughs> all about it. And yet, so part of me when I was confronted with all this and coming to God, and how can I come to God who is holy and I'm like this wretched sinner and, and yet God was offering me mercy. And I accepted Jesus, I, I put my faith in Jesus and I just received his mercy. And it took a while to to not always feel guilty and ashamed for my sin, I became to feel like a child of God. I, I became to, began to feel like I belonged to God, that God had really forgiven me, and I was really clean. Well, that's a good feeling. So the woman is... Uh, says, sir, I perceive you're a, a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the only place where people ought to worship. So she's, now she's you know, kind of figuring out who he is. He's, he's somebody special. He's some kind of prophet, but now she figures, okay, he's a Jewish prophet, and my religion and his religion don't mesh. So, you know, you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Notice Jesus never said that, right? That's sort of how, they, how the Samaritans looked at it. So Jesus said to her, woman, man, we got all kinds of time. Where are we here? Verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Yeah, what he was saying was this, listen, it's not about a building. 
It's not about a location. It's about a heart to heart with the living God. So it's true, you can worship God out in the woods. Um, but, you know, it's hard to gather people in the woods. You know what I mean? Like, because most, how many of you go to the woods? Hardly any of you, a few, right? You might go hiking. Uh, it's hard to hold, you know, a church out in the woods because there's no chairs. And you got to bring a chair and, and then you got to drive there and you might have to slog through the mud. And, so it's just easier to meet in a building. But God is not the building. Church is not the building. We just meet in a building. It could be any building. And, and Jesus said, that's not important. And you know what happened in Jerusalem? Jerusalem got destroyed about 40 years after this. So Jesus said, it's not about Jerusalem. It's not about the place. It's about, it's about God. You and God. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And he just laid it on the line. He said, uh, your worship is off base. Your worship is off kilter. Your worship is wrong. Now, that's really taboo in this day and age to say that somebody else's worship is wrong. Somebody else's lifestyle is wrong. Somebody else's way of thinking is wrong. That's uh, politically incorrect today. But uh, Jesus was very direct about that. And so are we. Uh, We don't use it as a hammer. We don't go around beating people uh, over the head with our Bibles. Um, We just present what Jesus said. And it makes sense. How could every religion be right when they all contradict one another? Well, they can't. Everything can't be true. And I know that's what the world teaches, that, oh, everything's true. If you think it's true, it's true. Well, let me tell you something. You might think it's true, and it might be 180 degrees from true. You can be misled. You can be deceived. You can have your ideas corrupted. And you'll never get anywhere spiritually if you don't wrestle with that. But then he says this, verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What a powerful statement. That says right up there, would never thirst again. God is a spirit, and we have to worship in spirit and in truth. So it's not about keeping rules and how you dress and, and, and all these things. It's about a relationship. It's not about my ideas and their ideas. It's about God's ideas. And it's about aligning our lives back with God. See, you know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and, and everything was kind of laid out. He laid out commandments, and he laid out how to live, and he just, he just laid it all out. And ever since, we've been kind of careening to the left or careening to the right, and, and God's trying to pull us back into the, this divine plan that he has. And so he's trying to pull your life into that alignment as well. Now, I was brought up to have my life aligned with the plan of God. Uh, 
you know, my parents went to a Christian church and, and I knew about the things of God, but I didn't really take it personally. And so uh, when I tried to uh, live my life, it just, I was just so out of kilter. Like I would careen to the left and just all oh, messed up and I'd try to get back to the right and I'd careen too far this way and I just couldn't find any stability. Maybe that's where you are. So Jesus is acting like a prophet here, and the word of God is prophetic. Um, it's the proof, if you will, that the Bible's true. So what I mean by that is that just like Jesus said, uh, I know all about your life. And she said, how can you know about my life? You don't know me. You must be a prophet. You must be in touch with God. Because only God knows secrets like that. Only God knows the future. So the Bible's prophetic. Uh, the Old Testament of the Bible is mainly taken up with predicting all the things about Jesus Christ. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies mentioned throughout the course of narrative history in Old Testament Israel for thousands of years culminated in the birth of Jesus. All predicted. And it all came true just like the Bible predicted. And let me tell you, you can't do that. You can't, you can't decide where you're going to be born. You can't decide who your parents will be, who your grandparents will be, what your family line will be. You can't uh, decide how you will die. You can't plan all that unless you're God. You can do that. And then, and then when Jesus came along, he predicted things about the future. And that's what uh, a lot of the New Testament is about, and particularly the book of Revelation, where he reveals how everything's going to end. Now, I'll tell you, that's going to end just like it. I don't know when it's going to end, but it's going to end just like Jesus predicted. And then he predicted something else about you and me. He predicted that we're going to die, and we're going to face God. Now, you might say, well, not me, buddy. I'm not facing God. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but you don't have a say in it. Just like you don't know how you're going to die, it, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. There's no reincarnation. You're going to die, and then you're going to face God. I don't know if I want to face God on my own. Um, gee, God, I'm sorry for all this stuff I did. I, uh, but God didn't understand. I had it rough. And I, I, you know, I made some dumb decisions, but you know, I didn't mean anything bad by it. Like, that's just not going to cut it with God. You ever been to court? You go to court and you hear a judge who knows what he's doing. It's black and white. It's like the gavel comes down. It's over. There's no arguing. There's no fuss. You start arguing, you get booted out. They'll hold you in contempt. Shut up. You've got nothing to say. You don't have a lawyer? Go get a lawyer because I'm not listening to you. That's what court's like. You don't want that. I think what you want is what I want. I want to belong. <laughs> I want to get to God and I want to say, you're not my judge. You're my father. You died for me. You paid the price for me, and I'm coming home to you. That's my anticipation. That's my hope. I'm going to meet him. I, I see God as my father. So belonging to God, 
requires a new spiritual birth, and it also is a lifestyle of worship in spirit and in truth. It's, it's a radical change from the way we used to live. So let's just continue on here. Um, this lady is progressing quickly. <laughs> She's pretty sharp, actually. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Well, the Samaritans kind of knew that. They had this Jewish background foundation, this Old Testament background. She said, I heard that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. That's me. Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. Well, she accepted that because he told her things that only God could know. And she realized that she was talking to somebody. And then he just simply said, I'm the Messiah. And she was ready. Just then, in verse 27, his disciples came back. They marveled. He was talking with a woman. You know, it just really was very odd back then. You just didn't do that. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. You know, these people were prepared. And Jesus goes on talking about laborers and entering into the laborers of other people. This was a people prepared to meet the Messiah. You know, this just doesn't happen. Somebody goes home and says, hey, I just met somebody who told me all about my whole life. Come on out and listen to him. Ah, get out of here. Floozy. Five husbands working on six. Like, they were pre- prepared. She had some influence. She had some sincerity. She had the spirit of God. Like, something big was happening here. And they all come out. And so they're... They're bringing them out and um, the disciples are back and they want him to eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And like, they're all like, whoa, does somebody already get you something to eat? <laughs> it's just like, you know, spiritually, they weren't very bright. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said, I'd rather do the will of God than eat. I was thinking about us. Because right about now, it's getting near noon, you're getting hungry, aren't you? Um, there's few things you like better than eating, right? Like you, you've already eaten today, and you're probably going to eat in a little bit, and you're going to eat some more. Maybe when you watch the football games later, you're going to munch all evening. Uh, we just love to eat. It's like we like to drink. We, we, we like to f- feed our body appetites. And, and yet Jesus says, I got water so you'll never thirst again, and I got food, so you'll never need to eat again. And it's like, there's just something bigger here, right? There's something bigger here. There's something bigger than eating and drinking and bodily appetites. It's, it's the spiritual life. So I'm going to jump ahead to 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. His testimony was, he told me all I ever did. (laughs) You might think your testimony's not much. Well, that's not really all that elaborate either, is it? But it's, it's real. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What do you think? Do you, do you think he's the Savior of the world? You know, sometimes people think, yeah, he's the savior of the world, but I don't need him. I'm good. I, I can do without him. Um, you're not being honest with yourself. If you're, you're saying one thing and that you're believing something else or you're, you're, you're believing something but you're not willing to commit to it, you're, you're being dishonest with yourself. Uh, you should never be dishonest with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself, who can you be honest with? If you can't tell yourself the truth, who's going to ever tell you the truth? You know, God's trying to tell you the truth and, and you, you're kind of betwixt and between. And I know what that's like because that's the way we're all. We're all like that. We, we're sort of drawn. I never thirst again. Lord, I'd like to have a life like that. I'd like to be satisfied in my spirit that I would never really be thirsty for sin again. And on the other hand, I'm, I'm still kind of tied into the old life and into the old ways of thinking. And, and, and Jesus wants to come along and just kind of cut the ties and tie me to something better. Tie me to God, to belong to God. We're going to, um, I'm going to ask the guys to come up. We're going to close the service with some, we're going to play guitars. We're just going to have a little time of prayer and meditation. Meditation is simply thinking. Uh, we want to think about these things because um, these are important things, belonging to God. Um, I know that uh, before I came to Christ, after a service, I wanted to get out as quickly as possible. Uh, I would want to run out the door because I was convicted. And I thought, if I hang back, somebody's going to get a hold of me. <laughs> and then I'm going to be you know, brainwashed and done for. And this isn't about that. I mean, you can come to talk to me, and I'll, I'll do my best to brainwash you. But... <laughs> I can't really brainwash her. I can hardly think anymore. Um, but it's, again, it's about being honest with yourself. Um, I want you to think about what you've heard and, and what Jesus said about never thirsting again. Um, and I'm going to just ask you this question. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? So I'm going to just pray and... I want you to think about that. Is Jesus really your Savior? Could he be your Savior? Are you interested? Um, I want you to open your heart to God. Uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are offering the gift of salvation. You are offering a, a, a spiritual life of never thirsting again. And we can't hardly get our heads around that, but... It sounds really good. It sounds really good. Lord, you said that unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And we kind of know that. We kind of know that we're just not 
that kind of people were, were flawed, were sinful, selfish, unholy. But Lord, you said that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Lord, you just call us to simply have faith, faith that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, God in the flesh, faith that he lived a sinless life and died on a cross as my substitute, paying the price not for his son's sin, but for my sin. And then he rose from the dead and he's alive in heaven. And someday he's coming back to set this world right. Lord, that's a lot. But we believe it's true, and I pray you would speak to people's hearts about that. And if you're here today, and you're sort of betwixt and between about whether you want Jesus to save you, then you can stay around and um, talk to somebody, talk with somebody you came with, um, deal with this. Don't run. He wants to satisfy your soul. I've got another question I'd like you to consider and think about. Is worship with God's people a part of your lifestyle? Because that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the Father is seeking people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's about a community of people who belong to God worshiping together. That's what the Christian life is. That doesn't mean we're always sitting in a service, but we're worshipers. That's what, we, that's what we would be known for. It just simply means we wake up every day and God's at the front of our lives and the front of our thoughts. And we owe him our obedience and our surrender. And we look for him for guidance and he becomes our Lord and guides us through life. Is that part of your lifestyle? Because that's what he's looking for. And I just want to address you folks watching online. I know there's a lot of, a lot of you that haven't come back to church um, and maybe it's because of you know health reasons and there's so, still so much stuff going around but I just want to let you know that we really miss you. There's people I come here on Sundays and I look for them and I, I think, yeah, they're probably watching at home. I really miss seeing them. Why? Because we belong together. We're, we're part of a people we belong to a local church and it's a community, it's a family. Father, I just want to pray for those who are home because of health reasons uh, or perhaps uh, worried that they'll get sick again. Uh, God, I just pray that you would bless them and I pray the day would come when they'd be able to come back and rejoin us as a body worshiping together. And one more question. Is doing the will of God more important than anything else? You know, Jesus is amazing. He said, I got water, and if you drink it, you never have to thirst again. And he said, I'd rather do the will of God than eat. And I think, am I like that? I just don't measure up, but, but you know, it, it attracts me. And, and it attracts me because 
Jesus said, follow me. And he wants me to follow him into that, to live like that, to be like him. And that's this whole idea of becoming, you know, of, of slowly becoming like him, of becoming less thirsty to satisfy my own physical needs and become more thirsty for him, to be less consumed with consuming and be more consumed with doing the will of God. Um, Lord, help us with that. You know how weak we are, Lord, and how susceptible we are to our lusts and desires. But I pray, Lord, that we would just be become more susceptible to you and your call on our lives. So, Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that we would go away from here uh, and ponder these things and, and not let them just ooze out and fly out the window, but uh, we would really think about these things, that you would touch our lives and hearts. And, Lord, I know you'll go with us, for, Lord, you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. So we thank you. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to stay behind and pray or talk, um, please do so. Don't be in a hurry. God bless you.